Welcome to the Fremont Presbyterian Church Podcast. Here at Fremont, we create space for people to become lifelong followers of Jesus, and we relentlessly pursue His transformation of our neighborhood, our city, and the world. Here's today's message. So let's open our Bibles again, or our Bible apps, to Colossians 1, 24 through 29. This section is called Paul's Ministry to the Church. Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is, the church, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you to make the word of God fully known. The mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. To them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom, that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy, that he powerfully works within me. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Heather. Let's pray together. Father, we are so thankful for your word. We, we can never, can never get to the bottom of this. It's, it's so rich. It's so deep. It's so glorious. We pray for your help. We pray for your help because we read something like this. I rejoice in my suffering for your sake. And that's just not natural. So we pray for the supernatural help of your spirit to, to help us see what Paul saw, what your spirit revealed to him. We pray you would take this really complex but beautiful passage. And we pray that you would make it plain. We pray that you would make it clear. We pray that the end result would be what we read. That we as a church, that we would be presented mature in Christ. Like that's our hope. That's our prayer. So Father, may your spirit now open the eyes of our heart, that this word would fall on good, soft ground, that you would be bringing people to know Christ, that you would be deepening the faith of those of us who do know Christ. So we pray that your spirit would bring about the transformation that you were so graciously and so eagerly desiring to give us. We pray for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Here's the the big idea of the passage today is suffering and struggle are the pathway through which Christ is revealed. And so here's how we're going to traverse these six verses. The outline will be in your bulletin. In uh, verse 24, we're going to see Christ revealed through suffering. In verses 25 through 27, we're going to see Christ revealed through mystery. And then verses 28 and 29, Christ revealed through struggle. So that's how we're going to navigate this text. We're going to jump into this first verse, chapter 124, I rejoice in my suffering. Now, when I was in in grade school and the teacher would assign a portion um, of, of reading to me in class, I had no intent of actually reading it to comprehend it. My intent was I was going to beat my friends around me through it. So I just wanted to say I got through it rather than comprehending the complexity and the beauty of what I was actually reading. Let's not be like my elementary school self today. 
Instead, let's be like a, a tea bag, just steeping in that water, and and we just we're just gonna soak up the goodness of verse twenty four. Now I rejoice in my sufferings. Like really. Because if I was writing this about me, I, I would say I complain in my suffering. I get discouraged in my suffering. I get impatient in my suffering. I rejoice in my comfort. Right? I can't typically say that suffering and rejoicing come together on my plate. But for Paul, the suffering and rejoicing, they were so bound up in one another that you couldn't, they were no longer two ingredients. They were like one ingredient that was meshed together on his plate. Like you can't separate mashed potatoes and gravy. That's what suffering and rejoicing was to Paul. So he makes statements like this elsewhere. Sorrowful, yet always rejoicing. In all of your affliction, we are joyful. I would be poured out like a drink offering in order for you to grow in your faith. So for Paul, suffering and rejoicing were not opposites. So we have to ask the question, okay, what fueled this? Because I need some of this. And here's what it is. It's your sake. It's for your sake. His joy in what God was producing in others was like an oxygen tank when circumstances said he should be drowning. Right later in the same verse, for your sake, the sake of his body, the church, right? He's saying Paul's rejoicing in suffering was enabled through what his suffering was producing in others. And because the aim of his life was Christ and his suffering was producing Christ in others, his suffering wasn't detracting from his aim, but fulfilling his aim. And therefore he could rejoice in his suffering. Now, the rest of the verse goes on to say that in my flesh, I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions. We're going to come back to flesh. We're going to come back to that in a minute. And we can interpret the afflictions to mean Christ's wounds and ultimately his death on the cross that reconciled us to God. That's what the afflictions of Christ are. Now, I hope you, I hope there's something going on in your head right now saying, what is lacking in Christ's afflictions? Because Jesus said it was finished on the cross. So what in the world is this talking about? Well, I mean, after all, last week, we read in the preceding verses, these words from Paul. He is the image of the invisible God. All things were created for him and by him. In him, all things hold together. He made peace on the cross through his blood and he alienated, he alienated, he reconciled alienated people to God. Like what's deficient about that? And so that's why context is, is key because Paul has just talked about the supremacy of Christ. This verse cannot mean that there is anything deficient in Christ whatsoever. And that's why the surrounding context will be our best friend in interpreting tough passages. Now, there's one other place in scripture where Paul uses almost the exact same term, filling up what is lacking. And it's in the book of Philippians. Now, Paul had a special relationship with this church. They partnered with him financially. They were very generous to him. But there was a big problem. 
he was in prison in Rome and they were in Philippi. And so there was no one to present their generous gifts to him in Rome. That's what was lacking. Not their love, but someone to present that to them. So the solution, right? Kind of makes sense. There needs to be an ambassador. There needs to be an emissary. There needs to be a go-between. So we meet this guy in Philippians named Epaphroditus. And he becomes this ambassador, this emissary. He takes the gifts from the Philippian church and he takes them over here to Rome. And so he completes what is lacking. So he became love incarnate to Paul in Rome on behalf of the Philippians. That's our context of Philippians 2.30. And notice this verse for the he is Epaphroditus. So when doing this, he almost suffered and died. So he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life, and here's the phrase, to complete what was lacking, almost identical in Greek, in your service to me. So again, the lack wasn't love. It was the opportunity to present something in person to Paul. So Epaphroditus becomes the ambassador. Now, I think that clarifies Colossians 1.24. Here's what I think is going on. Paul was Christ's emissary, his ambassador, presenting in person, in real time, to the church, to the people, the afflictions of Christ. Christ had died He had risen, he ascended, and so he wasn't in person presenting himself to the world. Therefore, there had to be a middleman. There had to be an emissary, an ambassador who would come bearing the afflictions of Christ to the world to say, this is how you get saved. This is how you get life. As wonderful, as intent as the Philippians were to give Paul this generous gift, if there's no one to take it, It's not getting there. And so Paul was the one taking the afflictions of Christ to the world. The afflictions of Christ are only glorious if you know about them and you hear about them. You can have the most expensive, uh, latest, fancy car sitting in your driveway. And if you don't have the keys or the swab to start it, it's useless. And so Paul becomes this set of keys, enabling the Colossians and the rest of the world to unlock the beauty of the afflictions of Christ by presenting them to them. Now, here's the other thing we have to ask, because this is strange. Somehow, by Paul presenting Christ to these people, it is costing him some significant suffering. So what is this all about? So for Paul to present the afflictions of Christ it's going to cost him his own afflictions. Think about it. He's in prison for presenting Christ. He's been beaten with rods for presenting Christ. He's been insulted and humiliated for presenting Christ. So what we see here is the emissary of Christ will also bear the scars of Christ because they are an extension of his body. If the head suffered to accomplish our redemption, the body is going to suffer in presenting his redemption. Jesus said a servant is not above their master. So the suffering of Christ was always God's plan A. 
to bring redemption to the world. So in like manner, the sufferings of his servants are a superintended instrument to advance the gospel and in so doing, presenting the afflictions of Christ in the afflictions of his servants. Think about this. Remember when Paul was in jail in Philippi? He was in stocks. He had been beaten. He had been afflicted with Silas. And what do they do? They start singing hymns. And eventually, do you remember what happens? The jailer comes trembling and says, what must I do to be saved? There was something in Paul's joyful perseverance in his suffering that made Christ irresistible to that jailer. It was his afflictions that drew the jailer in, not his ease as he sit in the prison cell singing hymns. So hear this. Christ suffered to accomplish salvation. Paul suffered to spread salvation. Hear this quote from the book, Filling Up the Afflictions of Christ. God really means for the body of Christ, the church, to experience some of the suffering he experienced so that when we proclaim the cross as the way to life, people will see the marks of the cross in us and feel the love of the cross from us. Our calling is to make the afflictions of Christ real for people by the afflictions we experience and bringing them the message of salvation. So hear this, because that's a deep, there's deep stuff up there on the screen. Paul's suffering was not only a consequence of mission, it was a strategy of mission. What others meant for evil, God used for good. The Romans thought they were imprisoning Paul. What they were doing was actually paying for an all-expenses mission trip to the center of the world to go convert their guards. So our suffering is not purposeless and random. It is wise and strategic. And the idea of suffering being a divine instrument that advances the gospel is not catching God off guard like a quarterback who comes to the line of scrimmage, can't read the defense, and then must call the next best play. We have a very practical example of this in our mission partners that we just heard from. They are suffering and presenting the afflictions of Christ to people who haven't heard. Now I want to pause and I want to make something clear. We are not to seek out suffering for suffering's sake as if that's somehow going to make us more spiritual. When I was in kindergarten at lunch recess, my friends and I would go bee hunting. I, it's ridiculous, I know. I would go out to the field and I would try to pick up a bee by its wings. And then I wondered why I got stung. So we are not to go hunting for suffering like I went hunting for bees. Yet, the inevitable outcome as we engage in presenting the afflictions of Christ, whether that's people in our backyard or around the world, is there's a degree of suffering that will be inevitable because we are the body and he is the head. It likely, in our context, it won't be prison, but it will likely be rejection, insults, being put outside the social circle, losing 
approval, maybe financial status and more. But be assured that any suffering that we experience for this pales in comparison for people to know the afflictions of Christ. All right, told you verse 24 is a lot. Uh, we're going to move on to 25 and 20 through 27. Uh, God's word is rich and it is vast. And because he wants his word known, he appoints people to reveal it. And that's what we're going to talk about in verses 25 through 27. So look at verse 25, of which I, that's Paul, became a minister according to the stewardship. We have to talk about that. From God that was given to me for you to make the word of God fully known. So the word steward means we're not owners. Paul was not an owner over the word of God. If you go on vacation and you have someone house sit for you, you don't expect to come back to your furniture rearranged, your goods sold, and, and your house painted a color that you cannot stand. You're the owner of that house. God is the owner of his word. Paul is a steward of his word. And as stewards of his word, we don't rearrange it. We don't change it. We don't add to it. We don't subtract it. We just present it out as it is and let it speak for itself. And that's what it means to be a steward. Unless the word of God is right here, fully known, unless it's fully known, then the afflictions of Christ won't be known. So in verse 26, Paul talks about this mystery, this mystery that was hidden for ages, but now revealed to the saints. Now we think of mystery, we kind of think like spooky, uh, oh no, it's a riddle I can't get. This math equation, it's a mystery to me. In scripture, mystery typically refers to Old Testament truth concealed in the Old Testament, revealed in the New Testament, hinted at in the Old Testament, made explicit in the New Testament. And that makes sense because the Bible is one story. So Paul's role and our role is to take this glorious mystery and make it fully known. Because remember, saints, we, looked, we learned about in week one, this isn't a special caliber of Christian. This is any Christian. So when the mystery of Christ is revealed to us, and if you are a Christian, it has been revealed to you, along with that becomes a stewardship to disclose that mystery to others. And then verse 27, to them, God chose to make known among the Gentiles. We have to come back to that. Are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. So Gentiles right here, we could also say this non-Jewish people, but it's also the nations in the Old Testament. So it's the, the nations, right? Because the word of God was revealed to Israel. Um, God said through Abraham, all the nations of the world uh, would be blessed. Through Israel would come the Christ, would come the Savior. And so Paul now is saying it's going to be revealed to the Gentiles. Now, before Christ came and made atonement for our sins, this idea of worship this wasn't possible as Christ in you right here was lacking. So Christ comes, he makes atonement for our sins. It was this exterior thing before that. So we, there was worship tabernacle or the temple. And if you think about the temple, there was something called the court of the Gentiles, which meant the Gentiles, there was a limit on how far they could go to approach God on the temple grounds, revealing that mankind is not holy and God is holy. 
But then Jesus shows up on the scene and he makes this astounding statement in John 1, 14. And the word became flesh and dwelt. And I'm just going to stop there, dwelt. That word in Greek is where we get our word tabernacled. Tabernacle in the Old Testament was the meeting place between God and man. So Christ comes, he tabernacles amongst us. He becomes the meeting place between holy God, non-holy people. And now once we receive Christ, the spirit of God takes up residence in the people of God. And then it can be said, Christ in you. The hope of glory. This is this mystery being revealed here. So the mystery previously concealed, but now revealed is that we are the temples that God dwells in, which means we are not limited in approaching God. Now, I want us to see one other thing in regard to this. It's going to bring together the mystery and the afflictions of Christ. Uh, This is also a complex passage. Fair warning, it is glorious. It is absolutely glorious. Gospel of John, fourth book of the New Testament. There's this phrase over and over. Jesus and others say, my hour has not yet come. His hour refers to his going to the cross to lay down his life for the sins of the world. So here's the question that I like to ask. Well, when he finally says it, what in the world triggered my hour has come? If it didn't happen to one week left in your life, what happened to cause that? We're going to look at it right now. John 12, 20 through 25. Now, among those who went up to worship at the feast were some Greeks. This is a week before Christ left to be crucified. Oops. Did I just kick his, I kicked myself out. Boom. All right. There we go. I just got it back. Darn. Okay. All right. We got it. Okay. If this is the worst thing that happens on our first day of technology, I will gladly take that. So uh, Greeks, right? Gentiles. Sorry, my handwriting's awful. Uh, Among those who went up to worship were some Greeks. There were some Gentiles. So these came to Philip. Philip was a disciple who was from Bethsaida in Galilee and asked him, sir, we wish to see Jesus. Philip went and told Andrew and Andrew and Philip went and told Jesus. And Jesus answered them, the hour, the hour has come for the son of man to be glorified. Truly I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Whoever loves his life will lose it. And whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. So the Gentiles coming to Christ is what sets his hour in motion to go to the cross, to be afflicted, to lay down his life. He is like the seed that goes into the ground and dies. Through dying, it produces many seeds. But then he invites us into the same process of living by dying. He bore his literal cross to bear fruit. We bear a figurative cross to bear fruit. I like how one pastor said it. It's as if Jesus is saying here that my dying for your salvation is my design for your imitation. And that's what Jesus is inviting us into. And now the last two verses, we've seen Christ revealed. We've seen Christ revealed through, is it up on this? Okay. Pay attention just to the middle screen. We see Christ revealed through suffering. We've seen Christ revealed through mystery. And now we're going to see Christ revealed through struggle. Colossians 1, 28 and 29. 
Him, that is Christ, we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. Well, of course, Paul is going to proclaim Christ. The mystery has to be revealed. His afflictions have to get out there. Who else is he going to proclaim? As mouths are opened, the mystery is revealed. The afflictions are known because faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. And now in this context, Paul says we proclaim. So that means we warn and we teach. Those are the two aspects of proclamation he's talking about here. Now, just as warnings serve as a gracious healing balm to sick souls, to wake people up out of a spiritual lethargy. So it is loving when we do it in the, with the word of God in our hands to graciously warn people who are in a spiritual fog in order for the clouds to part so that they see clearly. That's what Paul is doing to the Colossians. And the other thing he's doing is teaching, right? We take these life altering truths of scripture and we just want to make it plain. We want to let the word of God speak for it self. And you think about it for Paul, this was like life and death presenting Christ to the Colossians. They lived in a pluralistic society culture that says you can have Christ as long as you also have a mix of other philosophies and religion. It's okay. In Colossae, similar to now, it's like, well, you have your truth. I have my truth. Doesn't matter. This is why Paul is willing to suffer If they are presented mature in Christ, they will not fall for the banana in the tailpipe that says Christ is one of many good options. Paul isn't rejoicing in his suffering and filling up the afflictions of Christ because he is one option at the buffet menu. He is suffering because Christ is the appetizer, the main course, and the dessert. And that's why he's proclaiming Christ graciously and unapologetically. Now you might be thinking, well, this is good. This is for Paul. Maybe for you pastors up there. But what, what, about, what about us? What about Christians? You know you're being set up right now, by the way. Colossians 3, I want us to notice the parallels between these, between these verses here. Colossians 3, 16. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. So here's teaching, remember? Same word. Admonishing, same word as warning. But what does it say here? One another. In all wisdom, same word, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts. So the idea here is that this isn't just for Paul. This isn't just for pastors. This is for the body of Christ. We proclaim Christ. We warn and we teach using the word of Christ, not our own ideologies, but the word of Christ. And so as we ingest God's word into our spiritual bloodstream, it becomes the lens in which we see all things. And then the end of 28, this, this is the goal. This is the goal right here, that we present everyone mature in Christ. I will say this as way before this passage, uh, just sharing this with you. My number one prayer when I pray for preaching prep is that our church would be presented mature in Christ. Like that's my, that's, that's, that's it. That's the goal. And seeing people come to know Christ, that's it. And that's, that's a beautiful thing for us to strive for. I love in verse 29, Paul concludes this. He says, I toil and I struggle. But did you notice what his toil and struggle is with? It is with all his energy. 
Christ's energy that is in him. So the assurance Paul has as he labors, as he's exhausted, as he's in prison, the assurance we have as we labor for people to be mature in Christ or come to Christ who maybe we don't know is that it's his energy, his powerful energy working in us. And that's our assurance that our labor will not be in vain. That word struggle is where we get the word agony from. And it's such a good question. Do we agonize over one another to be presented mature in Christ? And so I want to invite us into a couple possible responses today. One of the things I love about a church this size and, and, and people every week is we have people come every week. It's your first time, your second time, you're checking out who Christ is. Uh, and I want to, I want to urge you. I want to make, I want to really um, persuade you by God's word. If you come and you don't have a personal relationship with Christ and he, you don't know him as the one who was afflicted on your behalf, we want to invite you today to place your faith in Christ. Like if, if the Holy Spirit is stirring your heart, opening your heart and drawing you to Christ, because that's a supernatural work of God, we cannot manufacture it on our own. I want to encourage you after the service, find me, one of the people here at the prayer banner, but don't leave today without that because we want you to come as you are, but we don't want you to stay as you are. Now for Christians, if you are a Christian, uh, I want to I encourage us, what would it look like this week to toil? for our maturity or to toil on behalf of someone else's maturity. Let's prayerfully consider that. And third, maybe you're like, hey, I'm feeling the Lord leading me to take the gospel, to share the afflictions with Christ with people who haven't heard. And if you want to talk more about that, come talk to me. I would love to talk with you about that. And so we end where we started. Suffering and struggle are the pathway through which Christ is revealed. May the aim of our life be to reveal Christ. And in the process, we will be filled with a joy unspeakable. Let's pray. Father, we are so grateful for your grace to us. This beautiful passage. Uh, Father, we pray for your spirit to elicit what would be a faithful response. Whether that's drawing people to yourself, deepening maturity, calling people out. But we pray that you would cause this word not to be easily forgotten. We pray that you would make it clear. We pray you would continue to make it clear. It is glorious. Help us, empower us by your grace to respond faithfully. We are thankful for the assurance that when we find ourselves in the furnace of suffering for our faithfulness to Christ, that he is in it with us. And so Father, we pray that through us as individuals, but through us corporately as a church, the afflictions of Christ would be presented to people and people would know your greatness. We pray for this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Fremont Presbyterian Church Podcast. We hope that you were blessed by the message. You can send your questions or comments directly to us at podcast at fremontpress.org. That's podcast at fremontpress.org. We'd love to see you on a Sunday morning. We have classic worship in the sanctuary at 9 a.m. and modern worship in the Community Life Center at 10.30 a.m. You can find the live stream of both of those services at fremontpress.org. Make sure you're subscribed to this podcast feed to get the latest episode each week automatically.
Thanks for listening.